Hello, my name is Gary. And my name's Simon. And welcome to EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On episode one of our podcast today, we'll be talking about some of the myths surrounding EVs and how close some of them are to reality. So Simon, how's things your end? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Um, it's been um, a, a busy week, uh, both both work and um, and filming. Um, so, uh, but um, uh, work-wise, uh, I was up at Wolverhampton, so I, I did get a chance to stop at the uh, the Milton Keynes Hub on the way home. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it, as always a, a good experience there. I, I I'm sort of torn about the Milton Keynes Hub. I think it's an excellent uh, facility. In and of itself, I mean, eight chargers, um, I've never had to wait. I've never seen anybody else there, though. I'm always there by myself. I've, have you been there when there's been more than one person there in any, uh, any one time? And do you know, do you know what? Uh, probably only twice. And I've, I've been, as you know, I've been to the, the hub probably quite a few times just for, for work. But um, yeah. the, the first time was with one of the engineers themselves fixing one of the machines. Um, and, and the second time, uh, randomly, there was... Literally every other charger, uh, charger was full, which is the only time I've seen that place full. And it, they were all from Korea. Like every car was from Korea. Um, they were all um, speaking Korean as, as, as well. They were all charging. I sort of nod my head to say hello type of conversation. Um, but it's the only time I've ever seen that absolutely busy. Every other time, I think I've only ever seen one person there as well as myself um so yeah it's 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 i i I really like it i think um i think it's personally i think it may be slightly the wrong location um and i the only reason why i say that is because the only kind of facilities there are from the bus garage uh which is a kind of you know they're limited shall we say and that is one of the problems that i have with it Uh, you know the food is overpriced the coffee's not that good and you have to pay, I don't know how much, for those atrocious toilets. So from that point of view, you know, they could, let's just say, room for improvement. I'd love it if they just stuck a Starbucks there, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to argue with that. That's uh, that's an excellent suggestion. (laughs) Do we want to move on to our feature topic, or do you want to have a quick word about your i3 servicing? Uh, I'll I'll have a... a, a a quick sort of uh, chat about that. So uh, the, the one thing I suppose I took away from it, which was a, I suppose a surprise, and I'm still trying to find out if, if it is actually true, but I had my first two year service on my 2017 BMW i3 uh, from BMW, um, passed with flying colors apart from tires, which I knew needed changing. But what was interesting on my recent Wolverhampton trip was an extended amount of range. Now I've done similar journeys this was about 120 124 mile each way journey and normally i have to stop there on the way there and on the way back so i done normal i charged to 100 before i left i got to birmingham and um, i still had 66 miles left uh, which is almost unheard of um so i charged at birmingham carried on to wolverhampton done my thing but that said 175 miles when i left birmingham wow and i'm like Okay, I've seen that once, and that's usually when the weather outside is about 25 degrees. It was 11 degrees at the most. Um, And basically, I managed to get all the way to Wolverhampton, which was another 30 miles, all the way back down to Milton Keynes. When I got to Milton Keynes, I still had 33% left. Um, 
and I didn't actually need to charge. I was kind of topping up for the for the next week. So um, I don't know whether the software has been changed on my car, and and that's allowed for a, a different calculation of range. I I you know it's not like it's been degraded and they have to unlock another bit of the battery, which I know exists. Um, so it's interesting. Um, you know. I, uh, I'll obviously, you know, try and find out and, and discuss on a, on a later episode, perhaps. But um, it was interesting that I've never had that before. The range in, you know, the i3s are good, but they're not they're not that good. I suppose at some point you'll have to do um, as Bjorn Nyland does, which is the full range test, run it fully 100% down to zero and then calculate how much is actually being used. And uh, you'll be able to check what the actual usable battery size is and uh, any degradation etc yeah absolutely it was i mean it was a, it was a very don't get me wrong it's a very nice surprise indeed um, <laughs> but uh, i kind of lose it for 175 miles there's no way that's going to work and it did <laughs> <laughs> no it was good how about how about your car how's uh, how's yours at the moment uh, mine's running uh, really well again um over the last bank holiday weekend when the weather was quite spectacular the range uh, went up to something that i've never seen before you know, very, very pleased about that. So far, nothing about that vehicle has let me down or um, disappointed me. So, fingers crossed it stays like that. Our feature topic today concerns some of the myths surrounding EVs and how accurate these myths are. Yes, indeed. Some, some of the conversations you do have with people are quite hilarious, um, I would say, um, to the point where I, I often have one conversation, which I did have, uh, the weekend with my wife's uncle, who's a who's a mechanic for you know he's been a mechanic for a good part of fifty plus years. Mm. Doesn't believe in electric cars. Thinks my car's a milk float. He was trying to explain to me the reason why EV cars are so bad. It was the usual facts inverted commas, <laughs> as, as as you can imagine, you know, how how they're bad. You know all, all the things that you hear in papers and uh, you know the bad press that say why EVs aren't the future. Those are so frustrating when you see um, discussions like that in the press, on social media, etc. So let's go through some of the typical arguments, talk about how close they are to reality. Uh, and then at the end, we might just circle back and give some of the reasons, just in, in for a sense of fairness and balance, some of the reasons why EVs may not be suitable for everyone. So let's start off with the, the first one that everybody throws out at me is well where does the electricity come from to charge them hmm? simon well yeah i mean this this is um almost the i would say the number one thing that generally i get thrown at me you know you do realize that just because you drive an electric car that 90 percent of what you're driving the electricity comes from coal and fossil fuels and all that sort of stuff where in actual fact coal accounts for six percent of UK fuel generation at the moment, in 2019 anyway. This is down from 40% only six years ago. So you can tell how, how much it's declining in terms of fossil fuels. Now, there is an element of fossil fuels, a very, very tiny amount that in the wider picture across the country does get used for electricity. But actually, most of it now is from uh, nuclear, wind and, and natural gas. During the summer, it's incredible. You know, we, when we do get some of these really good uh, summer days, you know, we're generating pretty much on renewables for two, three days at a time. And that obviously just gets banked up and it goes out to, to the national grid. Places like uh, in, in Scotland and, and Dundee that generates now pretty much 100% of its power by renewables. 
Orkney is a prime example. You'll see countless great videos from from people who who live there and who have done documentaries there about how much this they actually use more than 100 percent. You know, any excess that they don't use now goes back into the national grid in, in our country and other countries. So it's, they're, fabulous. They're, yeah. It's, yeah, it's amazing. So there's different countries that have um, a lot of these as well. I mean, you, you've only got to see places like Australia have now grasped the concept after Tesla put all their massive batteries mm-hmm. in there. And they actually took over seamlessly from old fossil fuel burning places and stuff like that. But the reality is coal, coal and gas, you know, generate electricity for electric cars is still more efficient, still more cleaner for electric cars. And that's only because, like, if you take an electric car, the amount of changing and stuff, the conversion process, you know, from oil to petrol, if you use the diesel or a petrol car, and then shipping it halfway across the world and in tankers that use more fuel and polluting more stuff, we don't have to do 90% of that. There's a there's a really big misconception that actually just because we drive electric cars, we're still using the same amount of dirty fossil fuels and things like that that diesels and petrol do. It's just simply not the case. That's right. It should also be said that, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of EV owners who've installed solar uh, on their houses. So not only is the fuel cheaper for them than it is if they're picking it up from the grid, it's also 100% renewable for the most part. So you know, the whole myth of, yeah, you're using fossil fuels to generate the electricity that you're putting into your emissions-free car, it's tosh, I think is the phrase Robert Llewellyn might use. Now, the 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 other side to that myth, the corollary to this myth, today's word of the day, corollary, is the one that says, yeah, but there's a huge carbon footprint if you're mining, shipping and manufacturing the batteries. So even though they run emission-free and on renewable energy, the CO2 created during the manufacture means they're never going to be cleaner than a diesel. Now, we don't think that's right, do we? No, I mean, it's interesting, actually, because it was uh, there was an article published um, from the German university, which um, I think, I, I believe, had links with Volkswagen. Oh, would that be the same Volkswagen that cheated on diesel emission tests? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the very same. Uh, they, they calculate that because of emissions from batting and random fracturing and the fact that a lot of German electricity is created from coal. EVs were never cleaner than diesels, which, uh, yeah, as you say, tosh. And what's the flaw in that argument? So the biggest thing, and this is the thing that's again, has been publicised and it's got facts behind it. So this is not just me and Gary, uh, you know, throwing out ideas and advocates of electric cars. It's they failed to include things like emissions created in refining and shipping the oil, creating petrol and diesel. You know, every kilowatt of energy produced from petrol needs something ridiculous like 60 kilowatts of energy to extract, to refine it and ship it to a petrol station. So as we were saying before, you know, use all that power and that fossil fuels to produce it in the first place. You stick it on a, on a truck, it goes to a, a shipping yard, a shipping yard sticks it on a massive oil tanker. That goes halfway across the world and pollutes half the world. Comes to our side with you, the same thing again. We probably refine it a bit more. And then it finally goes out to those those dirty petrol and diesel stations. No one takes that huge and very much, let's not mistake, it's a massive part of that process into consideration when they're spouting these kind of things out saying how dirty um, electric yeah. cars really are. Not comparing like with like, it's apples and oranges, isn't it? Our second myth relates to the batteries themselves. And it goes somewhere along the lines of, the batteries will need replacing after a few years and they cost a fortune. <laughs> Yeah, so th- this is a brilliant one, actually, and I've had this from, from people when I've been charging, uh, usually, uh, you know, like the, the more public kind of charging stations and things like that, 
and they've gone so what, what do you do in uh, in a year or two years time when that battery is 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 dead and you know it has to go on to a, um, a scrap heap essentially you know how do they get rid of it how is it churned out i said well it doesn't and they said well what do you mean and i said well you know my i3 for ex- a perfect example they guarantee that for a hundred thousand miles at the minimum or eight years whatever comes first if it degrades to I think it's something like 90%. They change the battery. That battery doesn't just go on a scrap heap. You know, it goes back into the system or gets used for uh, household or storage for solar and things like that. You know, it's a massive recycling program. But you've only got to look at Tesla. And Tesla is a prime example. They've they've got cars on the road at the moment with 500,000 miles or 500,000 kilometers on their original battery. Taxis in Cornwall where they run their Nissan Leafs for 150,000 miles before selling them. But the batteries are still still good for vehicle-to-grid solutions. So even after that, and it just doesn't go on a scrap heap and, you know, go into the horrible pile of so-called things that get recycled but don't. You know, these general things, if they get to a point where they're not usable in cars, they go back into renewable-type solutions. You know, data shows that EVs will lose 20% of the state uh, of health only after 200,000 miles. In the in the year that I've had mine, I've put 22,000 miles on my car, and I don't look at that and go, "Oh my God, in a year's time, that's going to degrade and, and all the rest of it." There's just there's just no evidence to prove it otherwise. And in fact, there's more evidence now because of Tesla being out for so long and Leafs being out for so long that we we understand how long they are. You know. In the early days when Nissan Leafs and things like that come out, you kind of thought, well, they could be right because there's no facts. But now that Tesla and other people have proved it in their cars and they're still running as they were all that time ago, the facts are there. You know, they get people to actually look at those cars and say, well, there you go. There's a 500,000 kilometer car that's still going on its same battery. Now, I mean, don't get us wrong. There have been EVs that have had their batteries replaced. We'll come back to Bjorn Nyland, Norwegian vlogger. He had the battery on his Model X replaced after about 170,000 kilometers. But it, as you say, it was under warranty and it cost him nothing. But what it's also key to, to remember when we're talking about this is that there are internal combustion engine vehicles that have also had their engines replaced. A friend of mine, Jonathan, he's had two Hondas. I had a Honda before um, I bought my EV. Both the engines gave out on, um, on the Hondas in fewer than 120,000 miles. What do you do then? You have to replace the whole engine. Now, at the moment, the replacement battery will probably be a little bit more expensive than a replacement engine. But do you have figures on the price of batteries at the moment, Simon? Well, um, uh, batteries as well are, are, are plummeted. I mean, when, when we first started hearing about EVs, that you know, let's face it, out of the car, the battery was the expensive thing. And to be to a larger degree, it still is. But a few years back, a, a single kilowatt battery would cost up to $1,000. Within a few years, that same kilowatt will cost less than $100. And that's just phenomenal, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous. You know, these, these things are, this is a reason why, dare we say it, Volkswagen, um, with their ID range, are looking to bring the car out of a sub £22,000. If you'd have said that five years ago, it just wouldn't be possible. But different techniques, different ways of manufacturing the batteries and processes and obviously mass manufacturing of those particular uh, cars. And, and, and they'll come down and the battery prices will come down. It's no different to, I was speaking to somebody the other day and it was like, do you remember when you first bought a DVD player or a Blu-ray player? And before you could actually afford one, they were about £2,000. Yeah. It's the same principle. You know, the technology comes out and it's, it's ridiculously expensive. Give it five years. 
it will drop to an average person's cost. Yeah, I think the the logic goes that once a battery can be put together or purchased for about $100 per kilowatt hour, that's the point at which the price of an electric vehicle will drop below the price of an equivalent ICE vehicle. That's something to, be look, to look forward to, isn't it? On the subject of batteries, our third myth is that batteries need precious minerals to be mined to create them, and it's causing all sorts of hassle all over the world. That's actually true, isn't it, Simon? Yeah, well, it's 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 partially true. These are exactly the same. Uh, let's, let's not make no bones about it. The, the the batteries that we have in mobile phones, it's the, the exact same minerals. So we're already using these type of batteries just on a larger scale. The, the biggest material used in in these batteries is lithium, and that's generated from seawater. So, which we've got quite a fair old amount of. Yes, we do, don't we? Yeah. Um, but the biggest one is cobalt. So cobalt um, generally comes from, unfortunately, the poorer countries of the world, places like the Congo. And obviously you get the, the, the reports where it's child labour, you know, to mine it. And, um, we, you know, obviously we don't know the, the sources, the percentages and things like that. We have heard figures of 6% of uh, this amount of cobalt is, is mined by children. There are other sources of cobalt and battery tech is moving quickly to replace it. And and that's, you know, Tesla, for example, have said that they will have batteries within about three years without cobalt. Every manufacturer now really understands that and understands that's not sustainable. We're taking out the, the fact that, you know, there's ethical uh, mining things behind this. They realize that you can't just keep mining the same areas over and over again. It's not going to be sustainable. You know, every manufacturer around the world are scrambling to get their own kind of supply of battery materials and minerals. So you just can't do that. So they're developing these new technologies. And it has to be said that the problems with batteries in an EV using cobalt is that you don't have the problems with batteries in your phone doing the same. It's just the way it's being used, to be honest. So, you know, we've seen technologies that are looking to speed this up in using different technologies. So cobalt isn't going to be around for, for much longer, in my opinion. I think over you know, the next several years, the amount of big manufacturers changing the technologies and changing how they're used, which will all lead to two things. One, removing cobalt completely, but also two, using different technologies and different minerals, which will allow charging to become very quick because of the difference in, in materials. And as we've already started to see in some of the newer cars with the 300 mile ranges, it's because the mineral changes within those batteries are being made differently. We're not necessarily making massive batteries with the same material. We're changing the chemical components within those, and that is based on the materials that they're using. Exactly. If you want more information about the types of battery tech, I would recommend uh, Ewan McTurk's YouTube channel, Plug Life Television. Ewan's PhD, I think he's got a PhD in battery chemistry, so um, he kind of knows what he's talking about. Plus, he works for companies that are involved in that, that area. Now, moving on, my my personal favourite myth came from a survey that was done last year from our good friends at The Daily Fail. And they said that, uh, <laughs> they surveyed people and said, "What what's the biggest problem you have with EVs? And a lot of them said, well, you can't drive them in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I've, I've, had, I've had the same thing and it, I kind of, you know, when you don't want to have to laugh in somebody's face, but it's really difficult not to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this to be honest this is absolutely priceless uh, this one i mean uh, obviously you can um I, i've been known to take my car out in the rain many times as i'm sure you have gary yes um you know sometimes even in a storm i had a lightning storm and i was driving through it that was particularly scary because 
I thought, well, you know, will my car go faster like in Back to the Future? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but in all seriousness, I mean, you can, you can even drive them through puddles. You know, who'd, who'd have actually thought that you could do that and take them through a car wash? I, but... I, I had the best look literally the first time I took my car locally to take it for a proper car wash. The guy looks at me and are you sure? I'm like, yeah, why? Exactly. And he goes, well, it's electric. But it's electricity and water. I mean, that, that can't be right. I'll tell you what it is. What I reply, there's there's one word that, that will shut somebody down with that and just say it's witchcraft and walk off. <laughs> but the, the battery units are sealed. It, you know, I, I've seen a, a skeleton, for instance, of an i3 and you can see the battery compartment and they're, they're fully sealed. These things are built like tanks, like the, 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 where the those batteries are, which are the, the key part of that car. They are built to withstand everything. Actually, within the first two months of buying my car, I went for a very small Ford, and it went about a foot up near where the battery is. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're still going. So uh, they're, they're made to last like ice cars are. It's like engines, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you have, a, if you have an engine in a, an ice car, what happens then? You know, there's an element, you don't go silly, don't you? If you've got a Land Rover or something like that that's made to go through water, then you go through water. But if you've got a, like, you know, if you buy a Fiesta, the first thing you don't want to do is go through a, like, a, a five-foot forward. Same principle applies, really. Absolutely. Myth number four. This is, to me, the crux of, of a lot of the problems that people have with EVs. Myth number four is electric cars are so much more expensive than petrol or diesel cars and I can't afford them. And now, you look at this at face value, and it's probably an accurate statement. As we've said before, EVs generally are more expensive to purchase in the first place as of the time of recording of, uh, of this podcast, which is about April 2019. And obviously, that's mainly due to the cost of the batteries. But we've already mentioned that the unit cost of batteries is decreasing every year. Generally, it's considered that by about 2021, it will be cheaper to manufacture an EV than an ICE car because of these falling costs. And that's the tipping point for the tech right there. Simon, what are your thoughts on expensive EVs? There's some truth around this. I mean, let's face it, EVs since day dot have always been more expensive, but they don't take into account considerations of running costs. You know, for instance, if a nice car, £10,000 to purchase, but needs £2,000 of petrol or diesel, £250 of road tax and servicing costs, you know, that could run into hundreds or even thousands. You know, is it really cheaper, you know, over three years um, than, than an EV uh, that actually costs 15000 to buy? So the initial you know, outlay is expensive, but over the course of the years of owning, especially if you're on one of these leases, the cost will just, it's just ridiculously low to run them. Whereas, you know, I know, and probably you do, ice cars that I've had, even for 10, 15,000 pounds, I've done the exact same thing. I've got all the, the amount of petrol and road tax and service costs. I had engines blown. That cost me thousands and thousands of pounds. The fact is, EV cars have got so little to go wrong with them and so little amount of components compared to an ICE car. It is, at the moment, initially expensive, but when you go over that in uh, more detail, and this is the things that some of the dealerships aren't detailing, they're putting the price on and going, right, that's £30,000, £35,000 for that car. And everyone goes, oh, I can buy a diesel for 20000 yeah. But then they don't go, well, actually, over the course of five years, you're probably going to spend another 15000 or something like that on, on this, which is the equivalent of buying it up front. But then you're not going to have hardly any run of cost down the road. There you go. I mean, I, I was talking at one of the recent EV meets that we went to. I was talking to a couple who'd purchased an e-golf. They had a, a diesel Nissan Qashqai and they sold it. 
took out a loan to buy an e-golf. The amount of money they were saving in diesel every month completely covered the loan payment for their e-golf. And on top of that, their company were paying them 40 pence a mile for business travel and they were racking up around 2,000 business miles per month. So they were actually physically making money on the purchase of their eagle. See, so, so you can't do that on diesel or petrol cars at all. There's no comparison. That is amazing. The next myth, although it's not really a myth, it's an argument against going to EVs, is this old bugbear. You've probably heard this before. I'll never get an EV until it can do 500 miles and recharge in five minutes maximum. Now, this argument is specious. Specious is defined as being superficially plausible, but actually wrong, or seeming to be right or true, but actually wrong or false. Now, to understand how specious it is, let's sort of do a little exercise. Let's take ourselves back to the beginning of the last century, about 1900, 1901. Um, Remember, at that time, horse and cart was probably the biggest bit of transport for most people. So let's listen to, for example, a typical New Yorker talking about these newfangled automobiles. He probably says something like, I ain't buying one of them newfangled vehicles lest I can feed it cheap hay overnight, drive it up over the fields, jump a fence with it, and use the droppings to fertilize my yard. You know, can you imagine carrying around a tank of explosive gasoline? It would never take on. Can you see how outdated that argument is? But it's a direct parallel to the argument being used today just to justify not going to EVs. It's, it's absolutely crazy, and you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, uh, back to my point about my my conversation and literally the conversation every time i see my wife's uncle is the same conversation and there's literally these points uh, and this is one of the main ones so he got first time i got my car he goes you can't drive to scotland in that can you i was like oh yes i can yeah but that's like you know 450 miles you'd be stopping like about 15 times like well not really you know i i, I can get about 100 comfortable miles out of mine so that's four stops and actually why would i want to drive 450 miles without stopping it's a conversation that both of us have had countless times when people go i'm not buying an electric car until it can do 500 miles which is exactly what my diesel or ice car has when you make the argument that how many times they actually use the car a week how much time is it spent on the driveway how much do they actually use going to say work and how much do they do at the weekend? And then the occasional longer trips, you know, holidays and, and so forth. You break all that down and most people don't have a bigger uh, need for those amount of miles as they think they do. I was a prime example. When I had my cash card before this car, I would get into the habit of just topping up. I would spend a massive amount each week just to say, oh, I'm down to 200 miles. I better put another 40, 50 pounds in just to have that 500 miles. But actually I didn't need it and I wasn't using it. A, which is bad for the car anyway, because you're not using the fresh petrol and diesel going around. But it's pointless. You're pointless money that you're throwing away. And the same can be said with, with EV. I went from a car that was capable of five, 550 miles to a car that's now capable of 100 and 120 miles. And actually, my working commute and my business miles and, and, and what I do in that has not changed. And I manage quite well with infrastructure getting better, with home charging being there if you've got it. It's just going to be better and better. And with like these charging hubs going across the country and billions, literally billions recently, they announced that, you know, some of these big charging hubs that are coming over from Europe, there's already one in Sunderland, they're going to start becoming normal. So you're going to start to see those pop up instead of seeing petrol stations. It's just going to take all of that away. And, and it's just a myth. It's such a, I don't know, such a, a myth that 
I didn't think uh, over a year ago I would be saying this. I think I'd be in that same camp saying, well, that car doesn't work for me because, you know, it doesn't do the same as what I do now. But actually, if you think about what you what you really do, you don't need 500 miles. That's right. I also draw the analogy with mobile phones, because if I said to you, I'm going to give you a mobile phone, you'll be able to use it for three or four days without having to charge it. But when you do charge it, you've got to get in your car, you've got to drive out to some special place and you've got to charge it there before you can do anything else with it. If I told you to do that, you'd tell me to sling my hook, wouldn't you? And yet that's exactly the same thing we're expecting people to do with cars. Yeah, it's crazy because like the first thing you do, like like you say, you, you know, you come home with your mobile phone, you stick it on charge overnight and you get up in the morning and guess what? Your phone's charged. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's absolute witchcraft. I mean, honestly, these these mobile phones that would never catch on and will never be stuck to our ear twenty four seven. Right. Those are the those are our top five myths about why people think they shouldn't be able to or why they won't look at or buy an electric car. But we've talked about some of these reasons why people won't buy EVs. But let's talk about some of the legitimate reasons why EVs might not be the suitable means of transport for everyone. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a there's a number of circumstances. You know, certain individuals might not be ready for an EV, and I I always say is because I, I like you probably I get I get asked when I'm charging my car, and you usually get the the people that come up and you know ask some of the nicer ones that come up and ask those questions like here, but I do long distances. You know, you get people for instance that you know that are reps and things like that. So there are going to be people in circumstances like you know, let's say for example you're in a small business, you need to do a, a lot of uh, long distance traveling a year, but also need transport heavy items as well as towing trailer. That's the problem. There are very few EVs on the market today that can do that at reasonable cost. Tesla Model X will pretty much pull anything you shove up like behind it you know to the point of it's moved planes for god's sake it's ridiculous how much that that thing can carry but it's expensive you know that's way out certainly for me you know if you look at a hundred thousand pound car who has that sort of money to do it you know the the vwe transport for instance will carry the load and probably the trailer but won't do the distance so there's a balance with those sort of people and that's probably one of the prime examples there are people like that that will need to carry loads of things and Certainly if you, you know, in America with their pickup trucks and things like that, which obviously there's solutions coming to that as well. That might be a prime example and a prime market that is set to kind of, you know, really take off, I think. So what if you're a company rep who has to work within the confines of a company car model, so you can't go and buy anything outrageous, but you need to do 300 plus miles in a day and your area is Wales or Norfolk and Lincolnshire, for example? Yeah, I mean, that, that could be a problem. The cars, the cars that would work for a rep using the company car purchase scheme are probably the Nissan Leaf, Zoe and, and Eagle. They have reasonable range, but you, you know, if you needed a stop in those places, you'll find charging infrastructure. Certainly needs some improvement out there. Um, you know, Central Central Wales is charging wasteland as well as uh, Norfolk and Lincolnshire. And that's not to say that that's always going to be like that. I mean, like I said earlier, these charging hubs and places like that, they're just going to be spouting up for the next two, three years. Those type of kind of comments will become null and void. I suppose if you're doing the mainline routes, so like M1, M6, you know, the main motorways, mm-hmm. you'll probably have less of an issue. But, you know, again, it's still something that maybe that uh, you need to think about more. But, you know, we're seeing cars with 300-mile range, like the Neuros and the Konas, that um, that could fit that, and you have to charge it less. So, actually, you know, they're starting to become solutions available. I think one of the use cases that could be a problem but is probably not as much as people think is the one where somebody lives in a place, for example, where they have no off-street parking and they can't recharge the vehicle overnight. 
would you recommend that for somebody uh, getting an EV? Possibly. So, so there's other circumstances. You know, I take myself as a prime example. L from Dundee, who's on you know one of the YouTube channels and Twitter. She's another example that you know we both live in a flat. So I have parking which doesn't allow me access to plug in. You know, unless I want to drop a, a very long extension cord out of the third floor window down past other people's, which I don't think they want to do. <laughs> it, but it doesn't stop me. It doesn't stop me owning an EV. Now, now, don't get me wrong, a year ago, it was still a bit of a, a leap of faith. It was very nervous. I had probably two or three seven kilowatt charging posts where I live. Now we're up to eight in the town and an ultra charger two miles away. So actually, it's just become null and void. I can also charge at the office, so that, that has made it work easier for me. Not everyone has this and could depend on that. So uh, I, it really depends on there's many factors like, you know, where do you live? What's your infrastructure like around you? Can you get grants for work, you know, to get uh, charges put in? You may be an advocate. You may be the first one to do it and say, look, if we get this in here, the government's going to put it in for next to nothing. I can use it and then other people might use it. The benefits start to come, but you also have to be that first person that does it. It doesn't work for everyone. You know, I'm certainly not going to sit here and, and say to people, uh, if you're in a, lo- a block of flats, certainly go out and buy an EV. It's got to be right for you and right for your circumstance. Over the years, those will change. Technologies will change. Being able to charge off a lamp post, they're coming. I've heard of a scheme in actually where I live looking to do that as well. So it's possible the technology's there. It's just a matter of that improvement. So maybe if the Kona and the, uh, the Nero were around a year or so ago when I was going to get an EV, I may have gone for that because it's got a slightly bigger range than I've got now and it would just become easier. But actually, a year later, I've realised that that's not even a problem. Absolutely. So to summarise our main topic, there are many, many reasons that can be quoted for not owning an EV, but most of them are inaccurate or wrong. There are some that are legitimate. So if you look, for example, at the, you know, the issue of COBOL, that's changing, charging changing, things are changing. If we want you to take away one thing from this discussion, it's that you need to know which are the legitimate issues and which are the non-legitimate ones. And you need to know how to deal with the people who throw these facts in your face. That's exactly what it is, in your face. Get back to them. And at the end of the day, as we've said twice already, if they still don't believe you, just say witchcraft. Yes, that's the one word. Depending on what part of the country you're in, it may get you burned at the stake, but apart from that. Right, let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing that we've come across that we can share with our listeners. My cool thing is an electric train. If you watch the recent uh, fully charged video, Bobby Llewellyn, while he was in Australia, he went down to the Byron Bay Railroad. What they've got there is a classic style locomotive. It used to have two diesel engines. They took one out, replaced it with what I feel is an extremely small battery for what it is, 75 kilowatt hour, um, and an electric motor. The beauty of the Byron Bay Railroad is that it's completely run by solar. They have panels on the roof of the train and way more panels on the roof of the stations that are at each end of the track. Um, They've managed to run the whole train for the whole year and export a huge amount of spare electricity back to the grid. I think from their website it said that um, over a 12-month period they've managed to generate the equivalent amount of energy required to operate the train daily plus enough to power 17 and a half three-person houses for a year. 
all from Solo. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Ridiculous, isn't it? I, Ridiculous. I, I, I watched this episode, and you know, as as always, fully fully charged episodes are just fantastic. You know, shot beautifully, and the information in there is great. But this, I, I kind of looked at, and I'm thinking, why not? You know, what? Why aren't more people doing this? You know, Australia is a prime example. They've got an abundance of sun, and yet, you know, they're, they're, they are slowly starting to get into the modern age with this. But like to have this that not only powers you know, the powers the, the train, it's got solar panels on the top of the train, it's got solar panels on the stations, it powers all of that, you know, at no price, and then they sell what they've got left. It's incredible. You know, it, this, is a, this is a prime example of when technology and renewables and all that sort of stuff just come together and just really good, really good stuff. Absolute no-brainer. Oh, it's, it's awesome. I absolutely love it. But um, I've been sort of looking at a slightly smaller scale, I suppose, recently. So, so my, my stuff is uh, obviously you know I've been I've been doing for for a little while through various meets that I've been at, and I've met people that have uh, got alternative smaller modes of transport. And what I mean by that is um, we all think electric cars that's the only EV thing that I need. But how about those last mile transport elements? So when I mean last last mile, it's you know, you, you go into London, you get off the train, you've either got to go onto a horrible, sweaty, smelly underground train or a bus or a cab. Luckily, some cabs are starting to become electric, so that's good. But, you know, I've, in recent months, tried an electric one-wheel. For my, my thanks going out to a fees cave for that, for almost killing me for five hours. That's one mode of transport. He does that all the time. He commutes around London on this thing. You know, it's a 40-mile range unicycle. It's incredible. Skateboards, scooters, electric scooters especially, you know, they're in abundance in in London now, as long as they're controlled. There's places in the States that have got out of control where they're just dumped everywhere. But if you've got these places where you, you, you pay for it, you pick it up, you go to where you need to go, you plug it in somewhere else, and then that's left there for somebody else in a designated area. These things are just making these these last mile journeys, especially in the in the good weather mumps just just make it really fun as well you know i've i've started learning an electric skateboard just because i like to think that i'm still 20 again and you've got a death wish and i've got a death wish yes you know anything that's electric and i can fall off of guarantee i will certainly fall off of it um <laughs> but um not everyone has got the bad balance and, and death wish i have so they may want to consider these things or Prime example, I see in the mornings when I'm taking my daughter to school, I see people walking from one end of the town to the other. And not, you know, young people. It's like, get yourself a motorised scooter, you know, for a two-mile journey, you come into work, plug it in, do the journey home. It, you know, it just makes sense. And these things aren't expensive. Just a lot of fun and some of the things that I've been kind of looking at as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting times. It's not just electric cars, you know, are the, the fun stuff we, we, we like to look at now. So... You know, open your mind to other types of EVs, I suppose. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at... I'm at the EV side on Twitter and YouTube for all things crazy and electric. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye.